Chris and Chris Talk Movies. Hello, and welcome back to the podcast. My name is Chris Ferry, and of course, this is my co-host. My name is Chris Huddleston. And today, we are both very excited to be talking to you about the 1986 comedy horror film, House. This is a house where no one should live. Woman lived here before you was nuts. Wouldn't be surprised if someone just got fed up and off her. She was my aunt. Heart of gold, though. Roger Cobb has come here alone. Daddy. <laughs> but no one is ever alone in the house. This house knows everything about you. It has been waiting for him. Hi. Sandy. Now. It wants you. Horror has found a new home. your own risk now this one is uh distinct from house which we did the japanese film yeah so i believe this is probably the first time that we've done two movies with the same name so so yeah this is a different house do you have uh, this for us mr huddleston i do it this is an 80 1985 film it stars william cat k lens george Five or 86 i thought it was 86 85 um imdb says 85 okay my bad so um but you've got william cat k lens uh george went richard mall mary staven or staven some other people uh directed by steve minor and the very brief Synopsis on IMDb is a troubled writer moves into a haunted house after inheriting it from his aunt or aunt. However, I always feel pretentious to say aunt. Um, all right. So I've seen this. A f- Go ahead. Sorry. What? I was, that's about it. <laughs> yeah. I've seen this a few times, but this was you were aware of this movie, but you'd never watched it before, I, right? I reckon you knew the poster. poster, the poster of the sort of severed zombie hand ringing a door. which is a great poster, iconic. Yeah, I was like, oh yeah, that one, but I had never seen the movie. Um, never seen the movie. Uh, although there were moments in the movie that made me wonder if I hadn't seen at least parts of it, because. There's a kid sort of trapped behind a mirror thing that felt really familiar to me. I know that's um, a common nightmare thing, but I remember being a certain age and and sort of being up late at night and being sort of afraid to walk in front of the mirror because I thought mm-hmm. there'd be something on the other side of it. And I don't know if that came from this movie or if it's just a common fear. But um, what I wasn't, I so I didn't really ex- have any expectations going into it, and this movie is bonkers. <laughs> it's it's bonkers. Uh, it's really trying very hard to be funny. On on the one hand, like not just 
like gags. Like there's lots of gags written into it. Um, and I think it's trying more of it is trying to be funny than that, that there is actually scary stuff actually. Um, I don't think it's very successful at being particularly funny, but, uh, but it is, it is swinging for, for home runs every time. Um, there's a lot of practical monsters in this made me think of poltergeist a number of times. Uh, there's a sort of a closet door that he keeps returning to and he sets up a bunch of cameras and uh, yeah, I, I never made the connection with poltergeist, but yeah, the guy behind me here comes out of the closet. And of course you, I don't know if you're of our generation, you might recognize the lead actor from the television series, greatest American hero, which is what I knew and loved him in I used to watch that with my dad. I would say people either, so people, you know, our age, a little bit older, maybe slightly younger. I would say like, for example, my sister is six years younger than me. So she would have been very young, but there are a lot of things that we kind of share a common, my sister and I share a common, uh, like a connection with, because I'm sure if I said, Oh, greatest American hero, she'd be like, Oh yeah. I remember greatest American hero. Yeah. Um, and then probably people know the song. I mean, I was at the gym the other day and they played the song. Oh, really? Uh, believe it or not, I'm walking on there. Yeah. Depending on what time you go to the gym, they're either playing like modern music or they're playing like seventies music, but. And, l- and nothing in between. Nothing in between. No. Um, the other thing I would, and I don't mean to hijack your, um, your, thoughts on the movie but uh this is kind of relevant for right now the other thing probably that people would so i'm i'm sure there are you know people that are maybe like in their 20s or early 30s or something they're just like i've never heard of greatest american hero before the other thing probably that he's known for is he was in carrie um oh yeah so uh but i and I'll, i'll get to this in my you know, kind of my wrap up on it, but uh, I looked through his filmography. He has like 135 credits, a lot of TV, you know, and some kind of like direct to video type movies, but, but probably greatest American hero and Carrie are probably his, what he's most known for. Yes. And he's good. You know, he's likable on screen. I, I don't think that he, it's not that he's a bad comic actor. I feel like, I feel like the comedy in this movie is very broad in a mid eighties kind of way. And it doesn't, um, it doesn't gel real well with the horror that it's going for the horror. You know, there's a couple of great jump scares in here. I like the creature design. Um, you know, that's, that's sort of this, somebody designed a lot of animatronic, you know, and people wearing puppet suits and uh, a grotesque. I mean, you can tell from this, but I, I thought the design was all great in this mid uh, mid eighties way. There's a, so um, let me just set it up a little bit. So this guy is a writer, a la Stephen King. He's a horror writer that's famous enough that people recognize him. Hey, aren't you? You know, 
Cops recognize him. His neighbor recognizes him. Everybody, everybody recognizes him, which I think is unusual for writers, but would have been true of Stephen King, for example, in the mid 80s. I think I knew what Stephen King looked like. If I had seen him in a bookstore, I'd have been like Stephen King, (laughs) you Mm -hmm. know, Um, and his his aunt dies and he goes to the aunt's house. Oh. He's divorced. He and his wife had a son that vanished. And there are some sort of indications that maybe he was abducted. There's a car like driving away and early on. And then he goes out back and he is sure he sees his son drowning in the pool and he dives in the pool after him. And there's no kid in the pool. Right. So nobody really believes him. This is this always gets me in movies when they do this. And we saw this in, in anybody recently, but the cops are kind of like, oh, we'll call you. All right. Settle down. <laughs> like the guy's kid vanished. Mm-hmm. You think he's faking it? People are blowing him off. Like, all right, relax, man. I, we'll call you if we hear anything. And if a kid yeah, went yeah, missing, my child was, a, you know, abducted or went missing. If a kid went missing, especially of a famous person. Oh yeah. There would be either, you know, there would be a a massive search to find them. The cops would be investigating him for probably murdering the kid, you know, and the and also his wife or his ex-wife is an actress. So she's like a TV star. There'd be an investigation that affected it wouldn't just be like, I think at one point now, fair enough. Maybe we just don't see that, you know, maybe that's right. Included in the movie. But what is included in the movie is, you know, he calls the FBI to like follow up like any any news and the tone of the guy. The other is like, you know, we'll we'll call you to stop bothering us kind of thing. And I'm just mm-hmm. like, I don't think anybody in in law enforcement would really be that cavalier. I know it's it's designed to evoke an emotional response, but I we've seen a couple of movies where there's this kind of casual <laughs> blase attitude from law enforcement that I'm like, I don't, I don't think that's realistic. Anyway, there's a lot in this movie that isn't realistic. He has these sort of nom flashbacks with his unit. Yeah, so he's a Vietnam vet and he's yeah. in his new book that he is writing at his aunt's house, which I be- if I believe if I'm right, he was kind of raised by his aunt, right? Yeah. And so when he and his wife were living there, because that's where the kid went missing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And he had lived, he kind of grew up in this house. So it's sort of like his childhood home. But he is writing a, I, I don't know if it's kind of a sort of a change of pace book for him, but he's writing a book about his Vietnam experience, yeah, right? And his agent yeah. is not excited about it. His mm-hmm. agent wants him to crank out another, you know, best-selling horror book and maybe that was kind of you know i would have to go back to what was happening at the time but maybe that was a little bit kind of echoing what was happening with stephen king where you know stephen king was the horror guy and then he started to kind of you know i mean he's continued to write horror but at times he wrote things that were kind of more drama ish and you know the shawshank what whatever the I don't know if it was called the Shawshank Redemption, but, you know, those kind of things. So I could be off on that, but I don't I mean, he didn't always write blood curdling horror for sure. Yeah. 
Uh, and he had the whole separate thing, the Richard, and I don't know how much of this you remember, but he had the whole separate Richard Bachman thing where it was like pen name. And Richard Bachman was like kind of a little bit meaner than what he was doing under Stephen King. And eventually, and so he published a few books as Richard Bachman. And then eventually people figured out somehow, you know, that it was because it was like very evocative of the Stephen King style, you know, but just like a little bit darker at times. Well, I, don't, yeah, I don't mean well, to derail things, but I think he just started writing under a pen name. And then at a certain point, uh, he dropped it. And mm-hmm. I don't I don't know. Maybe there was a methodology I, under it. I know he definitely had, it was, it was, he wanted to do a little bit different type of books and that's why he did the the pen name and people like there were like kind of some journalists who kind of, they kind of found him out or something. It was like, Oh, they started to put two and two together and figure out, Oh, this is actually Stephen King, but journalists. There, there's journalists always nosing around. Um, anyway, I didn't mean to get us off no, on a tangent. So, so uh, he's writing a Vietnam book. Yeah. So there's a lot. And I think if you looked at this movie and you set aside the comic, what they were trying to do comic wise, you know, he goes home. He sort of has a vision of his aunts hanging herself. All of that's very jarring. And I think when they do this scary stuff in this movie, I think it's really effective. Uh, mm-hmm. And I had a lot of fun with that stuff. Um, got some genuine shivers. You know, he sort of hears his, it's not reinventing the wheel. I mean, you hear yeah. this, the son's voice as though from another part of the house and little toy cars come rolling through and stuff like that. But um but it's gen, you know, noises, things rolling around, old old house, creepy ghost story stuff. Uh, but it's effective. Uh, as there's a lot of fertile ground here, I and mean, this is a guy who is went through something uh, traumatizing in Vietnam, as though just being in Vietnam wasn't enough. There's something specific that we realize he's starting to work out here because he starts to kind of relive it in dreams and flashbacks. Um. The Vietnam stuff is pretty corny. Actually. Yeah, it's it's corny, <laughs> pretty corny. Uh, but but that's one part of the movie that I feel like they're they're not trying to be corny. They're trying to make it look like it was real and traumatic, and it yeah undermined by how corny it looks. But there's a lot of uh, setup here that you're like, okay, so this is a guy. I think you're supposed to wonder like, is this house really haunted, or is this guy losing it? Like, is he, he, he never really dealt, he and his wife divorced and never really dealt with the loss of his son. Um, he's got this deeper seated stuff from his time in Vietnam and the fame is applying its own sort of pressure on him. And then the death of his aunt and he's alone and he's starting to come unglued. Mm-hmm. And I, I think at least at first they get away with that a little bit. You know, he sees this sort of vision of his aunt hanging herself and he sort of shakes and then she just vanishes. And, you know, and, and there's a there's a couple of of shots of him where you see him taking a pill from the cabinet. And he's just like, you know, he doesn't he doesn't want to believe that he's going insane, but he's struggling with the idea that this house could really be haunted. I mean, ghosts, right? But as we go along, the house is very obviously haunted. I mean, there are 
this thing comes out of the closet and it leaves marks on him, right? This thing comes out, this thing behind me grabs him and he's got these scars on his chest. And of course, Norm from Cheers is his next door neighbor. Uh, it comes over and then this is probably approaching act three of the movie, but Norm actually sees the thing. Yeah, that's, so I want to stop you there for just a second. So watching the movie, we have half or so of the movie where you can say, okay, is all of this in his head? Because he's the only one that sees anything. But, you know, the, the, at one point he, he fires off his gun and the cops show up and the cops are, you know, and, and he's trying to hide everything so they won't see, you know, yeah, these he, monsters he and everything. He killed his wife. The, yeah, he, he killed his wife. He's a monster that he unloads a sh- shotgun into. And then, and then there his regular wife is, and he shot his wife. So he stuffs her body in the cabinet, and the cops show up, you know, and the cabinet kind of keeps coming open. And it's like, um, I mean, it's like, uh, it's a comedy of errors. It's, it's like an episode of Three's Company or something, you know? Mm-hmm. The cop's like, which way's the bathroom? And the door's open. He's like, yeah, and their fans, you know, they recognize there. him. And he's like shutting it with his heel. And there's a lot of that in this movie. You know? But nobody sees anything until right. Norm comes over. George went, we should say, uh, yeah. comes over. And uh, he, uh, William Cat has set up all these cameras outside of the closet because this monster comes out. And the monster comes out and he gives George Wynn a harpoon gun. And he's like, I'm going to open the door and, you know, I'm going to fight this thing. And you shoot it with the harpoon gun. And the monster comes out and pulls him into the Vietnam world or whatever. So George Wynn experiences all that. So at that point, you're like, okay, it's he's not insane. Other people can see this stuff, which is a. We'll, we'll talk about that more when we get to the end, but it's a weird thing because it, I, by, by the end, I was like, what's real and what's not? There were places in the house that sort of seemed to be these portals into other dimensional space, like the closet. You Sometimes you open it and it's a closet. Sometimes you open it and it's just sort of an empty blackness as when he gets pulled in there. Mm-hmm. And... He gets pulled in there and then he sort of wakes and wakes up or is in back in Vietnam, right? Reliving this. He breaks the mirror in the bathroom because his his aunt painted a bunch of really upsetting, weird pictures all over the house. And, and he's a really good painter, but weird yeah, paintings in one picture. Yeah. There's his son, like looking terrified, trapped behind the mirror in the bathroom. So he goes up and he shatters the mirror in the bathroom. And sure enough, on the other side of the mirror, instead of the medicine cabin, is just this chasm, this empty black chasm where these monstrous things are flying around. And he ties a rope and lets himself down, falls in the water and again ends up in Vietnam. But he finds his son in there. And so the house is this sort of nexus point or something. Mm-hmm. You know, we're going to we're going to spoil this for those of you who don't know how we work on this show. So this how many years old is this 40 yeah. plus years old movie? So it turns out in Nam, what happened is he was walking point with one of the other guys in his unit, a big guy who was sort of, I don't know, half insane or all the way insane. And they weren't doing it right. They were way out. And he kept me. Come on, we got to stay close to the whatever. And the guy kind of goes nuts and gets killed by the Viet Cong, got shot by the Viet Cong. And he wants our guy to put him out of his misery. Mm-hmm. Right? He said, take my knife, you know, end it, end it. And he can't. 
He's like, I can't, I can't, I can't do it. And then the Viet Cong show up and sort of drag him away and apparently torture him for weeks and he dies. And I don't know. But the funny thing is when when they pull him away, I don't, you know, would this be a way that an actual human would act? I don't know. But they put, he's like, you got to kill me. You got to kill me. And he's like, I just can't do it. And the Vietnam pull him away or the Viet Cong pull him away. And he's, and by the way, this guy is played by Richard Maul, who is most famous as Bull from Night Court. Uh, he did a bunch of other stuff, but, you know, and again, if you're of a certain age, you're probably like, I, we don't know what you're talking about, but, but that's what he's, that's what we know him as, but he's, they're dragging him away and he's like, Roger, I'll get you for yeah, this. Exactly. <laughs> if I have to come weird, I don't know. Ghost, I'll get you. <laughs> yeah. And meanwhile, the Viet Cong just leave him there. I don't, you know what I mean? They, they don't try to capture it. And it's funny because like you said, this is really corny because it's very obvious sets yeah. for Vietnam, you know. Yeah. It's not quite as bad as plastic looking plants, but it's close. Mm-hmm. You know, and the 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 dialogue in Vietnam is it's like canned ham, you know, the hey, cut the chatter, guys. This is serious, you know. I'm you want and this is maybe a, not me. Well, okay, then you take point. I am doing it. And if you if you're listening and you're like, oh, that sounds really terrible. I mean, this is maybe like seven or eight minutes of the total yeah. 90 minute running time or whatever. So yeah. it's well, not like I this is say, a big section of the film. But I would say that there's enough of this movie that is terrible, but in a great way. Mm-hmm. Like I had a lot of fun watching this movie, but I, I did shake my head a number of times, be like, that's terrible. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I just thought, uh, yeah, yeah. And, and the funny thing is, is I thought the horror stuff was was really great. And I just was like, why did they feel the need to try and make this a comedy, too? Like, I didn't because the comedy stuff was just even in Nam, the guy who I keep wanting to say bull, but the guy who is killed is hamming it up like I, I, he's making the biggest possible faces that anybody could make. I'm just like, oh, easy, chief. Mm-hmm. <laughs> get your dime. We get it. <laughs> uh, anyway, uh, it turns out that the whole time it's this guy, it's a revenge thing. So he comes back and he's got a full body, you know, like a, like a rotting corpse, which is really great. I think. I mean, yeah. it doesn't look in no way does it look real. No, but it's but it's I'm very well. You know, now it would be all CGI, but it's he's a, like rotting skeleton and everything. Yeah. It's really it's cool. You know. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I thought that was great. And again, and, and, and as a kid, yeah. that really scared me. I, oh, yeah, I, I thought I, that was really freaky as a as a kid. You know, I bet. And he so the so he comes back to the house. He manages to rescue his son, but this guy follows him back, and he's sort of threatening his son. And he's like, I'll kill him if you don't kill yourself as vengeance for what you, you know, you because you didn't off me and Nam. And it doesn't really tie it all together. I mean, it, it's sort of, I guess the ghost world is just full of, there's some sort of goblin looking kids that pull the kid up a chimney at one point. And then his wife, there's a sort of a horrifying version of her that's monstrous. And that's what he kills, which she shows up because uh, George went calls the wife and he he steals Rogers like a dress book and calls the wife and is like, hey, I'm worried about him. Like he's having non flashbacks or whatever. 
And so she shows up at the house, but then turns into this big monster, which he then kills and buries, cuts up and buries in the backyard. Yeah. And there's a funny bit where um, George Wentz's dog, his golden retriever, digs up one of the pieces and it's the hand and the hand is still moving. Mm -hmm. And then the other neighbor is this hot Swedish woman or whatever who has a little boy. And, you know, I was about to say we're meant to think that she's coming on to him. She's 100% coming on to him. And she shows up later and says, ready to play. And he's like, oh, uh, and she's got her son. She's great. Cause I'm going out here. You babysit my son, stranger whom I've never met, but one time this afternoon, please take care of my, right. <laughs> it's insane. And I don't know if she like went on a my hand is clinging to the back of the kid. Right. And he's, that was the thing right. where like, is this real or does he just imagine that? Or whatever? Right. I gotta say, yeah, I don't want it to sound gross, but you know, I first saw this, I was like 12 or 13. Yeah. And so Tanya, the neighbor, that was like my formative years. And it's like, wow, she, you know, and even watching it now, it's like, wow, Tanya. but she serves really no purpose in the film. I mean, I don't really know what her perfect purpose is. It's two, two very vague and general things. Um, it's, it's, it's a little va va voom, mm-hmm. right? It's she a comes little- up because she says uh, he's right. digging in the yard, you know, he's burying the thing. And she comes up out of the swimming pool and is like, oh, I hope you don't mind. You know, your 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 aunt would let me swim here all the time. So, you know, I've I've done that, you know, for years or whatever. And he's like, so, yeah, it's it's just her to get her looking sexy, and, you know, and it's a and it's a red herring for the setup of the other joke, which is we've got a bunch of scary stuff planned for when he's in the house alone with a little boy. Mm hmm even though his son is going to come back later. Right. I mean, I know there's echoes of his lost son and all this, but they don't plumb any of that. It's just, she's just an excuse to get a little boy that looks vaguely like his son there in the house for scary stuff to happen to. And at one point he tucked, but he's very annoyed by this little kid. I know. And he sits there for fighting. <laughs> he looks over and the kid's gone and, and they get, they, they make, you know, and you're like, Oh, just like when your kid was lost. And so there is some scary stuff. Mm-hmm. It happens with him panicking, looking for this kid. But it's one of those times when there's just as filmed, there's a number of times in this movie. I'm like, don't stay in the house. It's like, leave. You don't have to write your book in this house. Yeah. Why are you here? And at a certain point near the end, he comes to believe that his son is sort of trapped somewhere in the house. And then I'm like, OK, so you're staying because you're trying to recover your son. But crazy stuff happens, including him killing a monstrous version of his wife. Yeah. He stays. Yeah. Leave. What is happening? You know what it's I mean? not like he's this wealthy guy. So it's not like he can't afford to go and stay he's in a hotel or house. rent he's, a house or something. He yeah. was living somewhere else and he decided to come and live in this house. It's yeah. like, I just time and time again, I'm like, Sure, spooky noises upstairs. I, you know, okay. But that thing comes out of the closet. Mm-hmm. And he, you know, he, he manages to stuff it back in the closet. And then he's like, oh, whew. all right. I guess I'll go to bed. <laughs> no, dude. And it's not even like, like you said, there, he's, he's taking these pills that he has in the medicine cabinet. And, but it's not even like he 
he thinks, oh, I'm losing my mind. He's right. just there. There are monsters and ghosts in in this house. And George went too. George went, comes upstairs, thinks the guys he's humoring him, thinks the guy's nuts. The monster does come out, drags him into this empty, bottomless pit of a closet. And when the when when our hero finally manages to make his way back from the other side, George Went is still in the house. He's got a bottle like Jack Daniels and he's gotten drunk. He's passed he out. And yeah. Stayed in the house where a <laughs> he doesn't run away screaming. I mean, I don't know what you'd do, but you wouldn't stay there. Like, what if mm-hmm. every closet has one of these things in it? Or right? Who does that? Yeah. Yeah. So there's a lot of like, I mean, I get it. It's not. But there's a lot of like, I'm like, people don't, people don't behave like that. Right? Mm-hmm. People aren't scared out of their wits and then make a little dinner. Like it just doesn't, you know, that's not the sequence of things. Yeah. <sighs> anyway, I guess what? Uh, he defeats the bad guy, the bad ghost and uh, gets his son back. And his wife isn't actually dead. And she's, she's not dead. And, so uh, that brings me to the question of. Like I was saying, what is real and what is not real in this right. movie? Because there are clearly things that are it, it. It is. It's definitely not. I don't think this is all in his head. You know, unless he imagined the stuff with George Went, because George Went, unless he imagined his son disappearing. Right, and I, I, you know, it just ends with the wife pulls up in the cab and. He comes out with the sun and the music swells, you know, but know. it's like you leave so, it or not. Yeah. <laughs> but it's like, then what then what happens is it's like, so where was the kid? You know, it's like, I know well, the same age. And oh, we don't know exactly what the time frame is, but it's like he was in hell the for several pool. years. He was in the swimming pool. He was just he was in the nether world or whatever. Well, the swimming pool, yeah. The swimming pool is sort of one of the portals. Like they he yeah. falls through the blackness and into water. And when he comes up, he's in the pool. So there isn't any weird effect, but the kid was in the pool and vanished and went sort of slipped over to the other side, and that's why he wasn't there. And the abduction thing was just a red herring. But but it's like, like what you what do you was this was this a year ago was this five years ago because the kids are the same age but it's like what do you tell the wife where was he all this time yeah um, you know so it's it shows up and is is delighted to see her son as yeah um, I mean she's just happy that he's she has alive, zero you know? questions right <laughs> there are she's like oh, he's back yay believe it or not I'm like <laughs> it almost sounds like that music I yeah. Know. Well, it's uh no, no. What is it? The, the the music choice, the the one they keep coming back to is, oh man, it's like a. So, so they play some old like Motown kind of music. Yeah, uh, yeah, and I'm like, wow, that's interesting and odd and not what I would imagine. Oh, they they, they do. There are a couple of different like Motownish kind of songs, uh, but they play uh, "You're No Good," "You're No Good," yeah. "You're No Good." You know, baby, you're no, I, and I think it's a cover of that, but yeah. So they play that, and that definitely plays into like this is supposed to be funny. Um, it's, I love doing these. I mean, I don't know if you enjoy them as much as what I do, but I love doing these. Uh, so I saw this for the first time, I was like 12 or 13, saw it on HBO, and I've seen it 
probably like a half a dozen times over the years. It used to be on TV a lot and everything. Because when I was a kid, I just devoured as much horror stuff as I could. And, you know, that was kind of not your thing. So there are a lot of these, you know, kind of fun horror uh, films that you have not seen. And I know that it's, it's impossible for me to separate, you know, it'd be like if we watched the empire strikes back or something like that, it's impossible to separate. I'm not saying this is on the level of the empire strikes back, but it's impossible to, you can't, I can't look at something like this through new eyes. You know, I can, it's, it's impossible to not uh, have the nostalgia factor because I saw this when I was, you know, very young. Um, so I think it's always fun to see what your reaction is going to be watching this, as, you know, as an adult. Yeah. Um, it's interesting because it, I mean, it's very eighties in terms of, it's just so weird. And there was so much weird stuff in the eighties. Yeah. And you really can I mean, this was a theatrical release. I'm pretty sure. sure. And I saw there was a sequel. They made there are, I think, four movies total. Uh, Now the the second one has absolutely. I've seen the second one more than once, and it has absolutely nothing to do with this one. It's a different house. It's different people. It's different monsters. Nothing to do with this one. William Cat comes back at some point, I think, but I'm I'm kind of hazier on the later ones. But but this original one was a theatrical release i looked up the budget was three million mm-hmm. it made 19 million which you know is pretty good budget or pretty good return for that yeah. time uh it's well made you know the the effects are pretty good the i think the, it looks great for three million even in 1985 oh, it looks really good i watched this on shutter the, they have a really great print on there. I don't know. Did you watch it on Prime or something right. like that? But it looks really, really good. You know, it's it's not. Sometimes when I go back and watch these 80s horror movies, they have almost a um, like a TV movie feel. And I, I'm sure probably some of them at the time, they probably use TV crews to shoot these, you know, like on the weekends or whatever. Yeah. But this feels you know, even though it's most of it takes place in this house, um, it still feels cinematic. You know, there's tracking, there's a lot of tracking shots I noticed of where they show, um, uh, you know, setups of the outside of the house and they're tracking along the the white picket fence, you know, on the front and everything. So it's well filmed and, you know, you have several, uh, big comedic actors of the time in William Cat and George Went and Richard Mall. These were all guys who were on essentially sitcoms of the time. The the only thing to me that makes it feel really kind of TV movie-esque is the score. The score, you know, is, is pretty cheesy. But it's interesting to me with William Cat because... I looked it up. He, he has 135 credits. Um, and like we said, you know, it was kind of, you know, he's kind of main, mainly known for Carrie and the greatest American hero, but uh, I kind of wonder why he wasn't a little bit bigger of a star. Cause he's super charismatic. I think, mm-hmm. you know, 
a really good looking guy. It's one of the things that made me laugh so much during this is, you know, he's a good looking guy in really good shape. And there's a good section of the film where he's wearing a V-neck sweater that has the biggest V with no, with no shirt underneath. Yeah. It's like a cardigan from uh, the wrath of Khan. And I just thought like, again, we were kids at the time, but it was like, was this a look? Did people wear V-neck sweaters with no shirt underneath? I mean, crazy authors who are losing. And it's just, I was like, what is the point even is this? I don't know. It just, that really made me laugh, but if your shoulders and arms are cold. Yeah, I guess, but it's, uh, watching this movie now as an adult when they were making the film and like i say you you can't really imagine something like this getting into the theaters today and i just wonder who was the audience for this because you know we get people get mad sometimes when we talk about movies being a kids movie but this is i mean would this have appealed to adults in 1985? Because the, the scary stuff is not, you know, it's not gory. There's no blood in this movie. Um, Hmm. It's, it's, it's not scary enough that any adult would really be scared by this. And without the, without the teeth, so to speak. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of jump scares and stuff coming out of closets and haunted house and, creepy vibes and i think great you know the monster effects are really really good practical effects you know even if it's just people in suits um i I thought the design of all of that was great i think it was just designed to be a popcorn you know a saturday night date popcorn movie everybody from high school up to their 30s who were still going out and just wanted to have a fun forgettable good time get some laughs and a couple of thrills and chills i mean that's like you said i hadn't really trying that hard (laughs) i hadn't really thought about it before but but poltergeist because poltergeist was a massive hit it's a massive hit at the time so maybe they were kind of like okay poltergeist is this kind of um you know family horror film it's scary but not too scary you know yeah. kind of the whole family can watch the scary it stuff was really scary i mean mm-hmm. I poltergeist being like and it took itself seriously so maybe they'll be like, oh, it'll be poltergeist but fun more fun. yeah yeah um one thing i will say about this for people who so adults who are into horror um this is almost like kind of a gateway horror thing. So this is something that you, you know, if you're an adult, you like horror movies and you want to watch something with your kids, you know, not too small kids. And, you know, you're not going to be able to show them the shining or the exorcist or whatever, but this is something that, like I was saying, you know, I was probably 13 when I saw this and it was a little bit scary to me at that time. Um, so this is something that you can watch with your, with your kids. There's not, I don't even remember like any bad language or anything in this. Um, you know, anyway, yeah, there's no real blood. Um, so it's pretty tame, uh, especially by today's standards. So, you know, horror fans could 
this is something that you could watch with your maybe like 10, 11, 12 year old kids, you know, and, and they're not going to be uh, traumatized for life by this. Yeah. I mean, uh, I wouldn't watch it with my kids, but you know, you can watch it with your 10 year old kid if you want. Yeah. And that's the, th- I mean, I'm, I'm <laughs> approaching this from, I think I saw a poltergeist at like eight or something like that, you know? So, right. uh, uh, anyway, anywho, anyway. uh, yeah. I mean, so <clears throat> would I recommend it? Yeah, absolutely. I thought it was a lot of fun. I thought it was, it was definitely all over the place and didn't care. Mm-hmm. I'm like, this just doesn't care. I'm like, it's not stitching the comedy and the horror together very well. And I'm like, oh, it just doesn't give an F. It's just the funny stuff is funny. Ha 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 ha. Now here's some scary. Boo. You know, and then the movie. And my thing that I always come back to is uh, cocaine. You know, was this a because it's just so weird and yeah. crazy? Well, I will say, you know, that what's the I'm sorry, what's the main actor's name again? William Cat. William Cat is a good actor and does a good job acting. It's just scene to scene. This scene, you're playing a like, yoink, don't let the neighbor see the severed hand on the back of her mm-hmm. son's shirt, right. And he's doing that, and that's all wide eyes and like, oh, oh, over here, you know. And then, and then the other scene is, you know, the, the his his Vietnam buddy has been shot, and he is unable to kill him and put him out of his misery. And in that scene, as hammy as the one actor is being, he's actually there. He's gotten himself there, you know. He's got. Mm-hmm. He's really wrestling with it and tears are rolling down his cheeks. And so you've got one guy going for the Academy Award. And I was like, that's great. And the other guy is ruining it <laughs> with his mugging. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, and also they're in different scenes with the, the stuff with the, the, the son, you know, they so it's like the Vietnam stuff. I think they want to be very uh, heartfelt trauma. Yeah, traumatic source the, of the trauma. The stuff with the kid when he saves the kid, they want that to be very heartfelt. Yep. Again, the music swells, you know, and it's just, you know, it's not. It doesn't feel that way. Right. I mean, you're happy that he's gotten the kid back, you know, but well, you um, can't really, you know, you can't have a movie that is 25 percent you know, Oscar winning drama, family drama, you know, it's, I'm just pulling this out of nowhere. You can't have it be 25% Sophie's choice mm-hmm. and 30% Caddyshack and, you know, whatever the other rest of it the is. The other percent is uh, Evil Dead 2. Yeah, exactly. You know? Exactly where it's like, oh, these, these deadites, we're going to get them, you know, shotgun. Because you even have a scene where um there's a scene where there's a big swordfish on the wall yeah and the swordfish starts flopping around and he has to shoot and you know that reminded me so much of the in evil dead to the the uh the deer head that's on the wall that's yep. moving around you know because yep. it's possessed yeah so so we see ghouls there's um there's monsters that i suppose are ghost monsters or something 
there are the sort of ghoulish children that take the sun. There's the ghoulish wife that these manifestations. There's the fish that comes to life. And then there's the garden tool that just come flying off the wall and chasing them around. And you're like, okay, that's a scary thing. But in a house where inanimate objects are trying to kill you, again, you don't stay in this house. I mean, Mm. even if you say, okay, that's the evil closet here, I'm going to stay in the house, but keep that closet door closed. Well, when sharp things start, you know, you're not going to go in the kitchen if sharp things start flying around and impale you. You know, it's like, so the house could kill him in any number of ways. It's a huge old house full of things. At the very least, a real person would go to George Wentz's house or go to Tanya's house and say, hey, my you know, the furnace stopped working or whatever. Can I stay with you tonight? And I'll go back in the morning and see, you know what I mean? It's, I don't know. I mean, but just in terms of like, okay, so is the the house itself is a possessed entity that uses all the parts of itself. Are we trying to get this guy to kill himself as retribution as the ghost says at the end, or are we just trying to kill this guy? Or is there multiple stuff going on? And we don't know. And there's a part of my science fiction brain that wants answers to some of this. I'm like, what? Well, we find out that, um, that I don't know if we even talked about this or not, but we find out that his Vietnam friend, Richard Mall has, has kidnapped the child. And that's what has happened. So is he orchestrating all of this? Is right. he running the house? We never really know any of this. We don't find out. Um, And so I guess, again, kind of my big question is, who is this really meant for? Because it's not really funny enough for comedy fans. It's too weird for people that just want to see a comedy. It's not scary enough for really horror fans, you know. And the comedy is really... um... It's really juvenile. They're not sophisticated Mm. jokes. So I'm thinking like high school kids, college kids. That's who I'm thinking it. They were thinking was going to be the target demographic for this. Just, you know, kids are either going to get high and go to the movies or go to the movies and, you know, go make out in the back afterwards. Or I don't know, just Saturday night popcorn movie. Whoever's throwing money at tickets that time. Mm -hmm. And I feel like we adults did go to movies, but that it was mostly a younger person's game was the strong demographic. Like who go, who goes and buys tickets multiple times to see a movie? I'd say that's probably more true now than ever because of all the, the Marvel stuff and everything. But I mean, when we were kids, it was, it was the same too. I mean, say that was, without having any numbers, I'm sure we could look up yeah. that data, but I know. there was tons of stuff aimed at, at us, you know, and it, at this time. Um, the writer of this, and he did some directing too, is Fred Decker, who um, the, the things probably that he is no, most known for are the Monster Squad, um, which I don't know if you've ever seen the Monster Squad or not, but uh, but like he that. he also write, wrote uh, Night of the Creeps. Have you ever seen Night of the Creeps? No. We, that's one we should 100% do on the show. It's a basically uh space aliens kind of like these space slugs invade the earth and it's kind of a um 
invasion of the body snatchers where they like take people over with that's one we should definitely watch sometime that's a fun mid-80s one right around the same time like 84 85 because we know what we're going to do right we do yeah i assume that you would recommend this also yeah i definitely recommend this like i say that i think for um for if you like kind of fun weird horror stuff you know comedy ish horror um again this is something that you can watch with your like early teen kids and it's not going to you know they maybe even would think this is stupid i don't know but probably would not be scared by this um it, probably it, not although i think there's some genuine shivers in it i think it yeah. does achieve you know the goosebumps particularly you know richard mall when he's the uh the zombie kind of Vietnam vet guy yeah, is, is pretty cool and, and, you know, and, and pretty creepy. Um, it's, it's a, I think it's kind of viewed by horror fans as kind of a minor classic. Um, so, you know, if you've never seen this one before, it's, it's a fun movie, you know, I, it's weird, but I've got a, I don't know if you have this kind of, this kind of, I don't know if it's a rating system or whatever, but for me, there's, there's good weird and there's bad weird. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. This, this, I would put in the good weird category. It's not so weird. My litmus test is, was it entertaining? Yeah. Yeah. I found it entertaining. Um, This is a movie that you could, you know, this is kind of a popcorn movie that you could watch with a few friends, you know, have some beers and invest in this. It's to sit back and enjoy the ride. And, uh, you know, be prepared for a lot of like, what the hell, <laughs> you know, moments. And it and it's all well, even though it doesn't all make sense and all that. It's not a it's not a super schlocky movie in terms of it's well crafted. You know, it's it's well put together. It's shot really well. All of the acting is is fine. Um, you have some some kind of cheesy music, but but otherwise. And if you like practical, I mean, this is kind of pre-CGI era. So everything is pra- practical. It's all yeah. people in suits. So. Um, and it was made for $3 million, which $3 million. is kind of unheard of. Yeah, it looks good for $3 million, you know. It and good. it's just the kind of, again, not to, I always feel like every week it's like, get off my lawn is my, is my you know, thing that I'm always saying. But it's, it's just the kind of, we don't really get these kind of movies anymore. Right. You know, I, I can't, it's, it's a little hard to imagine something like this being made today. Unless, unless an independent filmmaker does something and we right. see a lot of really interesting independent film work at this scale budget, but not a studio picture. And this feels like a big union shot union made studio picture on a shoestring budget. Yeah, I don't know. I was going to look here to see what the very often. Uh, keep talking. I'm going to look and see what. So uh, we are Chris and Chris Talk Movies at gmail.com. We're on the socials. Like, subscribe, send us some comments or suggestions. I had a one one quick uh, thing that uh, we didn't talk about. Uh, so we watched the Japanese House from 1977, I think. Um, and we watched this house. Uh, wh- what do you think was weirder and which did you prefer? 
I felt like the Japanese house was more was weirder. The Japanese house is just like nonsensical. It's like it doesn't make any sense. Yeah, and I wondered how much of that was sort of culturally, you know, like would it have made sense if we grew up in the seventies in Japan? More mm. of it. Um, I also thought that it was using some of the stuff. You you know you mentioned that that was an answer to their answer to Star Wars in some ways, but. It really, I think, was pioneering new ways of using special effects to um, you know, to pioneer a new cinematic experience. And I think part of its popularity has to do like I'm thinking there's a there's there's the scene when they're all huddled in the room and and the other girl sticks her head and she's like a giant and there's a dollhouse in through the door. And to the day you look at it and you can sort of see, just like when you watch Star Wars, you can kind of see the stitching. But I thought that's, that's really fresh. Like I, I can't think of another instance in where I've seen scale played with in that way. So it mm-hmm. doesn't all come together, but like she's eating the melon and, and opens her mouth and there's an eyeball in her mouth and the eyeball looks around and we're supposed to understand that the melon that they're eating is the first of the girls that disappeared. And I just thought that one, if I had to pick between the two movies, I'd give the medal to house. It's definitely more of a, like a midnight movie. Yeah. You know, Uh, though this house, the 85 house, if if it were playing in a theater near me, I would go and see. I mean, I'd go and see both of them in the theater, but uh, I, I would go and see this one in the theater because I think it would be fun. But yeah. but it this one isn't nearly as as weird. And um, the the Japanese house, you know, I would have to guess was nowhere near a three million dollar budget. You know, I I wonder if it would be, you know. A hundred thousand dollar budget. Yeah, you know? I don't know. I don't know. Anyway, check them both out. They're both worth a watch, really. Yeah. Um, for next time, we are going to do a movie uh, that you're director mother- that we talk about all the time. Any Yeah, Monsieur, you have made a great movie. <laughs> um, your brother-in-law has not seen it, so. Uh, you're going to watch it with your brother-in-law and you and I have both seen it. And we're going to take this opportunity to see it again. It's not an old movie. It's uh, blade runner 2049. Um, and I'm going to tip my hand right now. I love that movie. I own the two. Yeah. Um, so if you haven't seen it, take this opportunity. I think you can watch it on Netflix now, if I'm not mistaken, it's on cool. Netflix. Um, and as I would normally say with most, certainly his sci-fi movies, if Denny Villeneuve's movies, if you, the bigger screen, you can see it. on. Oh yeah. Don't watch it on your phone. This is so visually stunning. You, you, if you watch this and hate this, you won't disagree with me on that. I'll say exactly. You have to give me that it was visually stunning and you will, you will say, okay, it was visually stunning, but I still hate Mm -hmm. it. Yeah. You won't hate it. It's, I think it's really great. Yeah. So we'll talk about that next time. And if you don't want us to spoil it for you, then, you know, don't listen, but don't do that. Go watch it and then listen. 100%. Yes. 100%, fellas. 
All right. We will share our thoughts. We will. Um, that is it from my end. Do you have anything you want to add before we sign off? No, I think we covered uh, this version of House pretty well. Maybe we can find another movie called House. So we could just do a whole, <laughs> do a, a whole podcast of movies called House. <laughs> it's not the most evocative title when you think about it. No, no. There's no modifier and there's no adjective of any kind. It's just House. And the poster doesn't really have anything to do with the movie pretty much at all, but it is a great poster. You get that it's a ghost spooky. You get that it's horror. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right. Yes. Um, So great. Uh, There we go. We did it. Uh, Join us next week for Blade Runner 2049. And until then, we will talk to you next week.